Hey, good morning. Today we're going to open up God's Word from God's country. We're actually in Montana here, uh, big sky country, and, and um, visiting some family. And I thought this is kind of a nice setting to go ahead and open our Bibles and, and um, just uh, spend a little time in God's Word together. So why don't you go ahead and join me if you've got your Bible ready. Uh, we're going to go ahead and open up to 3 John. Been making our way through John's writings. Uh, of course, we finished first and second John, moving into third. We're doing the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings after we finished the Gospel of John. As we, uh, uh, it's interesting actually, we started our church um, in 2009, and we uh, actually had been a home Bible study where we had done the Gospel of Matthew, and then we uh, started our church in the book of Acts uh, on June, I'm sorry, on January uh, 11th, I think, 2009. And, um, and made our way through the New Testament, uh, going every so number of, many number of books, and then we'd go back to maybe the Gospel of Mark, and then we'd go through some more books in the Gospel of Luke. My intention being from the outset is that eventually we would kind of get to the end of the New Testament and we would take all of John's writings at the same time. And so, uh, you know, take them in succession as a block. And so we did the Gospel of John, which we finished uh, uh, about a couple of months ago now, I think. And then we decided to do our study on the epistles of First John on our podcast, and then we're doing the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings as well. So kind of in this series of John writings here. So, um, so we're going to go ahead and, and finish up his epistles uh, this morning. Actually, funny thing is we have virtually no internet access out here at all, and so this is actually, uh, I'm doing this study um, previously, and I'm posting it once I, uh, it's being posted once we have internet access again. So, um, um, so anyway. Uh, that being said, let's go ahead and take a look at 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Um, the elder, again, as we said in 2 John, speaking of uh, himself, and the word elder there speaking, as you would imagine, of someone who's uh, more senior in their sainthood, somebody who's been walking with the Lord uh, for a while, but really speaks physically of their age. Uh, it's a word that is often associated with leadership in the church and that kind of thing. But again, the term just speaks of one who is older. Um, and, uh, um, and presumably, <clears throat> again, um, somebody who has got some experience behind them. They've grown in maturity and that kind of thing. We generally hope that follows years as well. It doesn't always, though, right? Sometimes years don't necessarily imply wisdom, but hopefully, and certainly in the case of John, it does, we know. But the elder to the beloved Gaius, or Gaius. Now, Gaius is somebody who we see elsewhere in the New Testament. He's a name that we don't hear come up a lot, but he does come up in a couple of prominent places. For example, in Acts chapter uh, 19 and 20, uh, which we're going to be getting to as we continue our study in the book of Acts here as well. Um, but Gaius is one of those who is um, uh, one of Paul's entourage. As a matter of fact, we find out from Romans, that, or uh, 1 Corinthians actually, that uh, Paul baptized uh, Gaius. And so um, from that time, apparently he had joined on Paul's entourage and had been there in Ephesus when that riot broke out over Paul's preaching and the citizens of Ephesus uh, rallied together, rioting over the greatness of Diana of Ephesus and this kind of thing, and they dragged Gaius and, and, uh, and the group in that uh, away and all this kind of thing. And so he was somebody who uh, was, was a ministry partner uh, with Paul, and Paul calls him beloved elsewhere in his writings. Now, that presumes that this is the same Gaius, because if it is, then um, he's also an elder gentleman at this point. He's an older person. Um, it's really no reason to think he isn't the same Gaius, but, um, but we don't really know that absolutely for sure. But if that is the case, the Gaius served uh, alongside of Paul and also was beloved of the Apostle John as well. And John says he loves Gaius in truth, uh, love in truth. 
Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now, it's important when we talk about prosperity that um, it's true that God does oftentimes uh, bless people uh, with material means to take care of uh, them and all that kind of thing. But we ought not limit and be so shallow as to think that prosperity always refers to just material goods. There's entire segments of believers that buy into that kind of thing following false teachers. Uh, and I make that distinction um, when we talk about people like Kenneth Copeland or Benny Hinn or something like that, which we shouldn't hesitate to call out, by the way. These are false teachers that are preaching what's called a prosperity gospel. Uh, and they are uh, Creflo Dollar, people like that. They're, they're, they're trying to get money from people. Uh, and they preach a gospel that sounds exciting and this whole idea that God wants you healthy and prosperous and this kind of thing. And, you know, to see a verse like this might cause us to think, oh, maybe that is something God wants. But we need to make sure we take ideas like this in the whole context of Scripture. There are people that God does bless. Abraham, for example, uh, was somebody who was wealthy by standards of that day. Um, And there are those that have means. Um, in the book of Acts, uh, Christians were selling property and those kinds of things in order to, which may speak of physical like land or may just speak of possessions and that kind of thing. Um, and so there are, there are believers with means, but prosperity is so much bigger than the idea of just physical uh, or material or monetary prosperity. That's really very seldom what's in view when we talk about prosperity in the Christian faith. When we talk about in prospering in the Christian faith, um, now of course here they're talking about that and good health and that kind of thing. But we want to make sure we broaden our understanding of that because there are many believers um, who never uh, experience anything resembling something like wealth. You know, think of your brothers and sisters in places like Darfur or something like that or places around the world where they're scratching to, you know, to make any kind of ends meet and that kind of thing. They're not lacking faith. They're not lacking um, trust in the Lord or belief or something like that. This is just their place that God has them and this is the circumstance that they're glorifying him in. And so we want to make sure that we don't limit that. Now in this particular case Paul is praying or uh, John is praying that uh, in all respects that these believers uh, or that Gaius may prosper I should say in good health uh, just as his soul prospers. Again distinction, growth in the soul, depth of relationship with God and that kind of thing. Things that don't always and, and frankly oftentimes don't come with material blessings. Uh, usually it's in those places of, uh, of, of, of being where you have to trust God for your daily bread and those kinds of things where real depth of soul and character and Christian faith really grow. But Gaius here is someone who uh, uh, John is praying for, that you would prosper, be in good health. Um, there's, uh, it, would, it would appear that you know uh, God's provision would be in view there as well. Um, for I was very glad, verse 3, when brethren came and testified of your truth, that is that you are walking in truth. Um, not your truth the way it's typically used today, but the truth that you have, okay? Uh, nowadays, is a popular expression, you know, you have your truth, I have my truth, and we, uh, we hang our hat on our version of truth or whatever we feel is true and base our lives upon. Um, in a moment, we'll see uh, where, uh, matter of fact, I'll, I'll go ahead and read verse 4. I have no greater joy than this than to hear of my children walking in the truth, Def- definite article. When we talk about truth, um, we're not talking about something subjective. We're talking about something objective, something that is true whether we believe it or not. And we benefit by standing and believing, uh, standing on and believing in that which is objectively true. Of course, in the context here, the gospel, um, the idea of your truth and my truth has nothing to do with the truth, only in, uh, unless it's connected to the truth. And so 
as John is writing these things, he is uh, rejoicing at how uh, Gaius is standing on, walking in, growing in uh, the truth that he has, that has been given to him, just like any believer. Uh, and again, verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so the idea here is that, um, and by the way, this is a really beautiful sentiment on John's part uh, in how he refers to um, these believers as his children. He takes a very sort of fatherly love and care and concern for them. Um, not a, um, a dictatorial leadership role, but rather he sees them as people that he's personally invested in and wants to see them grow. This is a great earmark of, of, a, of a good Christian leader, somebody who is, um, who is caring, praying for, seeking to help uh, others grow, and doesn't have to necessarily pull the authority ranking kind of thing. Sometimes leaders have to do that. It's necessary to do that, uh, particularly when you're sometimes, you know, uh, um, pushing off wolves and that kind of thing. But when it comes to family, the family of God, you don't have to rely on that kind of thing. Um, you know, leadership in the Christian church is one that is generally born of respect, of love, of concern, of um, genuine relationship with those whom you're serving. And John seems to dem definitely demonstrate that uh, as he refers to these beloved children of his in the faith. Now, verse 5, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially uh, strangers, or when they are strangers. And they've testified to your love before the church, and you do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Um, John is commending them because they have taken in people who are traveling in ministry, that kind of thing. They, As believers, you'll remember in the... Uh, previous letter, he talked about not, not really uh, welcoming in, in the sense of fellowship, those who are breaching any other doctrine. But here on the other side of the coin, those who are making their way, uh, preaching the gospel and doing gospel ministry, that they welcome them in. They uh, recognize them as partners in ministry, servants of God, and they want to help provide for them and send them on their way in a manner worthy of the Lord as they go out and they, 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 they do ministry in uh, in the name of Christ, um, there is a, a writing that is a, that is ascribed to the disciples, although it's it's uh, it's not been demonstrated that it necessarily is, but it's called the Didache, and uh, it is a a very short booklet that um, that purports to be uh, written by uh, the the apostles um, that basically explains various elements of ministry, and in one particular point that bears with this is that in the Didache. There is mention of how um, if a person comes to your home claiming to be a minister of the gospel and they, uh, you're supposed to take them in, give them lodging, food, take care of them as a, as a minister of the Lord. However, if a couple of days go by uh, and they're not out there doing ministry but they're just sort of hanging around at your house, uh, you need to kick them out because if they're really gospel ministers, then they should be ministering the gospel. They shouldn't be just hanging around, just sort of taking advantage of your hospitality. They should be working, uh, and you are providing for them so that they are free to do the work that God's called them to. Uh, but if they're not, then you're to put them out. And so it's an interesting thing, very practical elements of ministry that are uh, uh, that, that were um, in view and, and spoken about even in the early years. Now, again, we don't know that the apostles wrote that, but we do know it goes back pretty far, and uh, certainly some pretty sound uh, um, post-biblical writing in that. 
Um, so anyway, but these believers are taking these folks in as, uh, uh, as ministers in the name, and they are providing for them and, and, and taking, uh, giving them, showing them uh, genuine hospitality. Um, now, there will be a contrast to that in regard to a leader uh, in, in, their, uh, in their midst um, that they stand in stark contrast to, we'll see in a moment. Uh, verse 8, therefore we ought to support such men, or we ought to uh, receive such men as guests is what's in view there, so that we may prove ourselves to be fellow workers with them in truth. In other words, we're partnering with them in ministry, and so we ought to have this mindset of helping take care of them when they come to town. Um, churches today, you know, would practice this by housing uh, missionaries as they're coming through, maybe raising support, or, uh, or if you're in some country where a missionary is coming through um, and, and one comes to your home, you'd do well to take that uh, missionary in and help support them while they do their work, while you have that opportunity. Uh, Jesus spoke about the idea that, you know, a cup of cold water, you know, given uh, in the name of a prophet in that, receives a prophet's reward in that. And so it's, um, you know, there's, there's just something inherently important about believers helping one another as we go about doing the work that God has called us to. Uh, and so they're doing that. John commends them for that. Um, verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. And for this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with the wicked words, with wicked, wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Now again, John just commended these believers for taking others in when they're doing gospel ministry, but Diotrephes here does not want to do such things. Uh, rather, he wants to be the, the, the focus of attention. He wants to be the center. He wants to be seen as above others in this kind of thing, even accusing John and those who are serving with him uh, with speaking wicked words against them. And John mentions here that if I come, I'll call attention to this. If I'm able to come see you, which later in the letter he'll say that he hopes to be able to do, he'll speak to this. Now, we've seen this before, actually, when we look at Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians. The Corinthian letters are really um, um, rich studies in many ways, but one of the ways that, uh, that really are prominent, uh, things that we gain prominently from those letters, is that in 1 Corinthians, Paul is cleaning up all kinds of a mess. He loves these believers, and he spent a year and a half planting this church. Nonetheless, they remain carnal in so many ways, and so he pours himself further into them to see them grow past this. In 2 Corinthians, he's having to write to them, much like John is sort of a beloved father to them, um, because they're turning after false teachers now who are putting down Paul in this kind of thing. And Paul's having to appeal to the fact that you know me, you know my character, you know my our love for you, you know we never took advantage of you like they're doing. Well, John here is, 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 is basically saying, look, when I come, uh, much like Paul when he said, when I come, I'll, I'll show you that I can speak with power on behalf of the Lord. John here is saying, if I come, I'm going to make sure to call this stuff out when I get there. And so um, he, puts, he basically calls out Diotrephes and says to watch out for this guy. Um, verse 11, beloved, in contrast again, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Now in Psalm 34, we see this, and of course many places throughout Scripture, but we see this often in the Psalms, the idea of departing from evil and doing good, seeking instead peace and pursuing it, and those kinds of things. Um, 
it's an evidence of the believer, somebody who pursues what is good, who seeks peace, who seeks to do what is right in the eyes of God and to avoid evil and not imitate it. Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here John is saying, don't be imitators of evil, but rather imitate what is good. This is an evidence that somebody is of God. And also, one who does evil, it's an evidence that they in fact do not know God. And so again, very practical instruction as is, is present in so much of John's writing. Now, verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. In other words, everybody testifies of Demetrius's faithfulness and, and such. And matter of fact, it lines up scripturally. When you read, when you see Demetrius, you see someone who is living a life, even uh, as the truth itself would bear witness to. And John goes on to say, and we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you uh, with pen and ink, much like he said in 2 John. But, um, but instead, I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Again, John's desire is to be with them in fellowship, imparting to them, helping them to grow, blessing them. They're a blessing to him as well. Peace be to you, verse 15. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Christian fellowship in the first century was so central to their existence. They needed each other so desperately. Um, he doesn't mention lots of names here. As a matter of fact, to mention a name uh, would be to put that person in jeopardy. Now, if this is the same Gaius uh, who is uh, uh, faithfully serving along Paul, um, then at this point, he's, he's had a long-standing reputation. He's no doubt learned how to, uh, to move about and do ministry and, and sort of somehow stay outside of the reach of, per, of various kinds of persecution, getting arrested and those kinds of things. Um, but this would be typical, arrested, uh, persecution, suffering for the sake of the gospel. This was common uh, in the early centuries of the church, really, uh, and still remains very true in, in, uh, among believers, your, your brothers and sisters and mine, around the world today. Uh, and so when believers move around and go from church to church to church, um, you know, serving the Lord and, and, and trying to be a blessing to these uh, bodies, there's something wonderfully intimate and beautiful about it because of the need for that. Um, I know missionaries, and, and you may as well, and, and, you know, when they're on the field and they're serving, um, and then they come home for a furlough and they spend time um, with the body and that kind of thing, it's such a sweet, refreshing time for them because they're working so hard in the field and they're, they're it's, it's different. They have fellowship and they enjoy that with those that they're ministering to, but there's something refreshing about coming home and being with the body that maybe you grew up with or that has been supporting you. And you're able to just sort of let your hair down and, and just be in that fellowship. You know, to receive people like that and to give them that opportunity to rest is so valuable. Um, and also the fact that when you add persecution to that, um, it's, it's an incredibly welcome respite. And John is no doubt uh, desiring to be with Gaius, both to give and receive on that level, uh, to be with the believers on that level so that they can just enjoy each other's company. It's just refreshing. Fellowship is so much more than just sort of hanging out together. There is this feeding each other and, and, and hearing one another and pouring into one another, um, mending each other, uh, hearing each other's uh, joys and, 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 and pains and such, and being there in true brotherhood and sisterhood. Uh, it's a gift to the church, and John here is very uh, much looking forward to being with them. And again, he uh, prays God's peace upon them. Uh, those he's with greet them, and he asks that uh, um, their own greeting would be shared with the believers, uh, each of them even by name. It's a wonderfully sweet, uh, intimate letter written to a, a good friend in ministry 
and those alongside of him. So praise the Lord. Well, that does it for John's epistles. And um, I was kind of very excited to be going through John's writings in that way. I'm very excited to be going through Revelation on Sunday mornings as well. Although Revelation is a very different book from the rest of John's writings. Um, so the Gospels, the Epistles, wonderfully rich personal testimony of things and this kind of thing. I, I, I hope they've been fruitful uh, uh, endeavors. So praise the Lord. Thanks for watching and joining in. Uh, don't know how many podcasts we're going to do while we're on vacation here and while we're with, uh, with family. But, uh, boy, I sat out here this morning and I thought, boy, this is a nice setting to do this. So hope you got a little taste of, of just this beautiful area here. As a matter of fact, let me do one last thing here just so you can sort of get a little bit of a sense of where we're hanging out at Julie's Brothers, just getting some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff here. Just wonderful. Well, praise the Lord. Let me pray us out here, and then we'll go ahead and uh, catch up with you next time. Father, we're just thankful for your goodness and grace. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for the gift of your word and being able to share it together and just grow through it. We pray that, Father, these times uh, spent in your word uh, would be fruitful. We know your word never returns void, but it accomplishes what you set it forth to do. So we pray it would find its place deep in our hearts and that we would grow, we would learn, we would develop as believers, uh, we would learn the importance of helping each other grow in our faith, and that we would uh, just pour ourselves into that, Father. One day we'll all stand by side in your kingdom, uh, and we'll just rejoice with you alongside in the, uh, the, the struggles, the pain, the, the hardships will be over. We'll be with you. And we look forward to that with such great anticipation. So thank you for the beautiful hope you've given us of that day coming. And um, until then, we just pray that uh, our fellowship together would be sweet, whether it's in person or through means like this. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you, Father. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. And ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, if you have comments or questions or anything like that, you're welcome to leave them on our YouTube channel here. Uh, if you want to go to my website at parsonspad.com, you can watch these same videos. You can also uh, email me or uh, you can subscribe to the audio version of the podcast. And, uh, of course, if you want to learn more about our church at Calvary Chapel Franklin, we invite you to check out our website, calvarychapelfranklin.com. Um, but in any case, looking forward to catching up with you the next time. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Amen.